With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Pour one more beer for me. Exile needs quality. So savagely. Best beer in all the land. Brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can. Exile Brewing. E-X-I-L-E. For me. E-X-I-L-E. Let's drink. Crack open a Zoltan today. Enjoy your HN Podcast with Miller and Dace coming to you from the Exile Brewing Company Studios. Going to talk Iowa, Illinois, and then the Big Ten weekend that was tonight, uh, or whenever it is you're listening to this, likely in the day as you listen to this podcast. Let's begin with Iowa, Steve. The Hawkeyes knock off Illinois 45-16. Was a lot closer than that for much of the game. In the end, Iowa made some big plays finally and capitalized on those and turned those into points. Uh, I've given my say a little bit about this in the Instant Reaction podcast. What say you? Um, I thought it was, given where the season was at and where this team is at right now, I I thought it was pretty much the perfect scenario. Um, You come in, you play two straight slugfests against Penn State, against Iowa. This was the third game, uh, you know, in that juncture after both of those efforts. So, and you have a bye coming up. You have a a team that you kind of know you can name the score against. It just wasn't going to be from the outset, given the way college football is structured and and how much emotion plays a part in it each week. It it just wasn't going to be, from the get-go, Iowa's best effort. Illinois came in sensing that uh, Iowa was a little bit vulnerable, tried to establish their own uh, sort of a new identity for them, ran the football very effectively in doing so. And then you kind of got the sense watching the game that Kirk Ferentz was aware of, you know, where his team was at and contrived. But in this case, I mean this in a, in a positive sense, um, contrived a couple of scenarios to try and kickstart his team to be aggressive to to flip the field to change the paradigm or the trajectory of the game uh and i I think that uh the results for one were really good um but i think the result of both was i think gave a little bit of jet fuel to his players and at the end of the game if you didn't watch the way the game transpired and you saw, hey, Iowa beat Illinois 45-16. to 16. Five different players score touchdowns. Brandon Snyder comes back, you know, near miraculous uh, pace of recovery from an ACL and gets a pick six. That's a storybook, you know, sort of, uh, of subplot line. So if you were an Iowa fan that you just thought, you know, I've got the harvest coming up. I'm t- taking the wife on a cruise and. I picked this weekend to do something in the fall because other than a bye, Illinois is the next best thing. And you came back in from the from the fields or back home from the from the vacation and you looked at the box score and saw the final. You thought, 
well, this is why I took this Saturday off. I pretty much knew this is the way the game would go. So, you know, if you watched it, it didn't seem like this for long stretch stretches. But in the end, this is pretty much the game that most people thought it was going to be before the season. Yeah, I, I think that there are – I think you, you did a pretty good job on that from a standpoint of I really do like the way that Kirk interjected himself, his his belief or feel that this team needed that little extra. And, you know, to go for the fake punt, uh, the onside kick, and then last week they had the fake field goal. I mean, those are all things that, you know, your coach is swinging for you the same as you're out there swinging as well. So that was good to see. Some people want to say, well, it sucks that you have to do that against Illinois. It is what it is. This is a developmental program. And September has typically not been their best month. And, you know, the first we're, we're six games into this, and this game was played on October 7th. Bye week, I think, comes at a very good time for them, especially with what I saw on the offensive line. Now, Iowa averaged, I think, about five yards per carry uh, in this game. Yeah, five even uh, in this game on 38 attempts, ran for 191 yards. They weren't out there road grading per se. But they were, they were certainly, they, they looked a lot more competent. Now, the opponent has a lot to do with that. But Tristan Wirfs makes his first ever start for Iowa, the first true freshman tackle to start in the Kirk Ferentz mm. era. I think there have been three other true freshman offensive linemen to make starts in the Kirk Ferentz era, but none of them at tackle. And I watched his every single snap during the game as it happened the first half. He, as, as Hawkeye Game Film replied to me, he has those dancing bear type feet. I mean, I think in pass protection, he's going to be really good. And I'm not saying he's not going to be in run. I think this guy is going to be a really good player. Uh, not much surprise there given the accolades that he had coming in. But I thought he looked really good. And my hope last week, I can't remember if I said it on one of the podcasts you and I did together or as one Rob and I did, was my hope was get to the bye week get Boone Meyer some rest and get him spun back up or get Tristan Wirfs spun up to where one of those guys could play right tackle for you because it was so important to move Sean Welsh back into guard where he is a first-team All-Big Ten performer at that position. But at right tackle, he's a step down from what you had before. And when you move him from guard to tackle, that makes your guard also a step down from what you had before. So you had an entire side of the offensive line playing at a minus-minus compared to what you had when the season started. I'm not saying Worfs is the end-all, be-all answer for this year, uh, but I think that he held his own. And I think if Boone Meyer can get back and get healthy, you have an option there with him at right tackle if Worfs struggles, or you have an upgraded guard with a healthy Boone Myers. And I think that this offensive line getting pointed in the right direction is going to cure a lot of ills for an offense that has had some, had some tough times thus far. Well, you go back to the playoff last year, Washington, Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama, all four of those teams started a true freshman on the offensive line in the college football playoff. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just not the same era. Now, there's not a lot of offensive linemen that are ready to play early, but it's it's much more common than it used to be. It used to be you'd, you'd get a Orlando Pace type of recruit, you know, every 20 years that was able to do this, but... Uh, more and more kids are able to do it with the advancements in strength and conditioning. More and more teams are are needing of it, including teams that are playing at a very elite level. And, you know, what you just illustrated is something I think a lot of fans don't understand about offensive line play. 
is that, yeah, you, you coaches, well, except at Michigan, will list a depth chart at, at the offensive line like every place else. But most of the time, the depth chart's irrelevant. Most of the time, they're going to find a way to put their best five guys in there. Uh, and doing so, though, can create a situation like what Iowa is in this year where kicking you know, Sean Welsh out to tackle has been a loss leader um, because he's adequate there, but he's dominant inside. And if you can find someone who's adequate to cover on the outside, then you have another dominant player on the inside. Right. Meaning you're not robbing Peter to pay Paul. And that's essentially what Iowa's been doing for the last few games. And, you know, going into this game, we talked about this in the podcast last week. You know, the last, the previous two games, albeit against what are, what look like now might be two of the better defenses in the Big Ten. You know, you had 53 rushes for 101 total yards. So um, you got through the bye week. You wanted to win one of those two games against Sparty or Penn State to get yourself in position in November to pressure Wisconsin. That didn't happen. Uh, I think, you know, it's highly unlikely Wisconsin's going to lose two conference games. But you play it out, and, you know, if you can get hot, win out from here, which I wouldn't necessarily predict, but I wouldn't rule it out either, then, you know, you're looking at still, particularly with the Iowa fan base, a really nice bowl trip somewhere. So there's still a lot to play for for the Hawkeyes. Yeah, I, I agree with you on Wisconsin. We'll talk about them a little bit later. Uh, you know, James Daniels missed the first game of the year, um, and he hasn't looked like he hasn't been playing at the level that he was at last year thus far, in my opinion. You lose Ike uh, Butker against Iowa State, done for the season. So North Texas, Penn State, and Michigan State, Iowa's had to play with Sean Welsh primarily uh, at right tackle. So not good. So any movement they can get to keep him inside is a win. On the other side of the defense, I think a Rubicon was passed. You the you mentioned Brandon Snyder and his pick six, an 89-yard pick six. In his miraculous first game back of the ACL, and that was a big play, obviously. I think... Iowa was up 17-13 in the third quarter. Illinois was driving, getting down close to the red zone, and then that happened. It was a horrible throw from from Jeff George Jr. But yeah, I mean, he threw it right to him. It yeah. was a terrible throw. Well, there was a guy. He was he, he either overthrew the under route or he vastly underthrew the deeper route. Either way, it was a bad play. And Snyder made an impact elsewhere in that game before that that you basically said, yeah, he, he's already showed up in ways that Iowa wasn't getting that type of play from their free safety. And Miles Taylor started the game, but after a bad angle that turned into a 50-some-yard run at the end of the first quarter, Miles Taylor went to the bench, did not return. Amani Hooker slid in took the strong safety spot, and as long as he and Snyder stay healthy the rest of the way, those are your safeties the rest of the way. And I think that's an upgrade for Iowa over the opening day uh, and Iowa State safeties of Gervas and Miles Taylor. So I think you get an improvement on the back end. Lack of a pass rush in this game, definitely a concern. I think Illinois started, what, four, three or four true, true freshman offensive linemen. Uh, that's that's a concern when you only get one sack and it was on the first play of the game. 
That is a concern. Iowa continues to rotate a number of linemen in. Uh, A.J. Epinesa, yes, he is a man-child. But, you know, my whole thought process this summer before, you know, Phil Parker started talking about him playing 30-plus snaps a game, I wasn't as bullish as some people because what works at the high school level on a bull rush Rarely can you translate that from high school to college in your first year. You need to learn technique. You need to add more tools to your pass rush arsenal. And A.J. will learn that this offseason. And next year, he might be twice the player that he is this year at the college level. But what I'm seeing from him is just a lot of, I'm going to try and just get around this guy on a speed rush to the outside or a bull rush. And it didn't it didn't get the job done, and, and it had and it didn't get the job done this week. That's not to say in some games it hasn't got the job done. We saw them against Penn State, where they had a weak spot at right tackle, just didn't work out so well this week. I'm not picking on him. The guy's a phenomenal talent. There's Iowa's not getting the pass rush really with anybody. That's a concern because they're going to need that. But they, I think they did get better on the back end and should be better back there going forward. I don't know what to think of Iowa defensively. I mean, obviously you have a guy who right now is probably a first-team All-American at linebacker. Rest of the unit, meh, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's an Iowa defense in the Ferentz era coordinated by a guy whose last name is Parker. So it's going to at least be adequate. But I, I, I don't know what to think because if we look at the body of work now, it appears the effort against – Saquon Barkley is is the and and that effort the dude still at 200 yards, um, but but it appears that the effort against Penn State and is the one off. Uh, when you look at what Iowa State did, and you know, I mean Brian Greasy from ABC's ESPN took a look at the Iowa Iowa State tape and came away thinking David Montgomery is as good as Saquon Barkley. Um, you look at what Illinois did. And, and I don't watch enough Illinois to know. I mean, I watched a lot of them. I watched the end of their game against Ball State, their opener. I watched a lot of their Friday night game against South Florida. You know, so I, I, But I'm not familiar enough with their program to know if they did something differently than what they had been doing. But, I mean, they just gashed Iowa, ran the ball up and down the field. And it's not like they had any kind of a passing game that, that put Iowa back on their heels either. So I, I don't know. This does not. They're going to play adequate defense at Iowa because that's just the system and everything. But this does not look like a vintage Iowa defense to me, John. No, right now they're ranked 25th in the country in scoring defense, and they have been living on the edge of a knife a little bit with the number of yards they've allowed. The bend don't break. You know, we still have a scoreboard. We don't have a yards board. We have a scoreboard, mm-hmm. and yep. in Every one of their games, with the exception of the Iowa State game, they've allowed two or fewer touchdowns. That includes against Penn State, and Penn State's second touchdown came with zeros on the clock. So you still have to score to win. And that's not to say that Mark D'Antonio didn't go into the lockbox offense against Iowa, who didn't have a punter either. I think that he did. But, you know, until somebody rolls out there um, and just flat lights them up, you know, you still got to score to win, and they've done a good job in that department. But man, give it up! And that's, all. And that's what I mean when I when I say yeah, vintage Iowa. With yeah, Parker. it's gonna be it's, it's yeah, it's it's gonna be that's a typical Iowa defense, but it doesn't look like a unit that 
you're going to need to score more points than maybe you might typically have. Right. To, I guess, sure. Yeah. Trying. Yeah. No. I, I and I think you're right. And that's probably why I was as encouraged as anything with the, with what hopefully the offensive line took some steps in the right direction mm-hmm. with regards to what Illinois did on the ground against Iowa. Um, they made the change at quarterback from Crouch to George. Crouch is much more a running quarterback. Um, you know, the zone read type game is definitely in their package when he's in there. George, you weren't expecting that. And they ran it enough with George to, I think, make the linebackers freeze. And I just don't think Iowa prepared all that much for a zone read look with Jeff George Jr. this past week in practice. And I hearken back to a number of times in recent years where the inside runs, the inside gives – on those zone read looks, have had some success against mm-hmm. Iowa. Uh, it's it's when teams line up and play like Michigan State or Wisconsin against Iowa when Iowa's defense really flexes and, and it flexes its muscles. It's when you have that zone read look that causes those linebackers to have to think as opposed to react. And that's I'm I'm not making an excuse. It's, the, it's this disconcerting. Is the game, I wonder is, is the game not as simple as we think it is because it's not, I don't think that it is. Why wouldn't you just say? Listen, Jeff George Jr., we're just going to let you keep the ball every time, and we are going to automatically go for the back. Go go for the back. Sure. We'll, we'll take our chances that Jeff George Jr. isn't beating. You're not Pat White. You're right. not Jamel Holloway. We'll t- you're not Vince Young. We'll, we'll take our chances with Jeff George. First of all, we would have taken our chances with Jeff George Sr. running that. Right. We will certainly take our chances with <laughs> Jeff George Jr. Right. Yeah, I get what you're saying. That's a very valid point. No question about it. So that's definitely something to work because Clayton Thorson's going to run that similar look uh, for Northwestern. You know, Minnesota. I, I don't. I don't know what they're going to do. JT Barrett will give you that look. Some Wisconsin won't. Uh, Purdue will. Nebraska won't. So there's going to be some of those things coming down the stretch that you um, have to be ready for. But I, th- I think on the whole. Um, not bad. You got to the bye week. Nobody else got seriously injured. Uh, you're four and two. We all kind of felt this was a six and six season. And given the strength of their back end of their schedule, you know, if if you had to make a revised WNL on the last six, just give me your gut reaction at Northwestern. When they're terrible, Minnesota, I mean, they 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 look like a Francis P. Denny Green Northwestern. That does not even look like a path to Cheryl. I would concur. Minnesota at home. When? Ohio State at home. This is tough because, tell me, John, I was thinking about this earlier today in advance of us doing this podcast. Since Ferentz fully reestablished his program, can you name a season that Iowa didn't beat someone they weren't supposed to beat? 2012. Let me pull it up real quick. That's a great. That's a great question. Um, historical scores, Iowa. I can pull up each season. Let me go back. So when when? Okay, you said since he reestablished it. Give me a. a so we're going since twenty thirteen. Since two thousand and one. Okay, since two thousand and one. All right. Well, this is this will be pretty fun actually. Uh, two thousand and one. Um, that, you should have beaten Michigan that year. I remember doing because that's when you all booed Kyle McCann off the field. Yeah, so didn't have didn't have didn't have one that year. My gosh, the the, the resulting record of Iowa's opponents that year 
Michigan at eight and four was the best. Everybody else was mm. six and six, seven and five, or five and four. Two thousand and two. How about Texas Tech in the bowl game? Were you supposed to win that? Um, game? probably not, given the uh, location of it. I bet you're yeah. probably right about that. So there's one. Okay. Two thousand and two. I wonder if they were uh, favored going into Penn State at Penn State. You were an underdog at Michigan. Yep. Well, uh, yep, and at Michigan, so they won both of those. Two thousand and three, they beat Michigan, Michigan at home, and Michigan was a ten and three team that yep. year. Two thousand and four, and take your pick. Um, you know, what was that LSU, uh, Wisconsin, and Erasmus James, the last sure. game at Kinnick Stadium. A number of yep. those. Uh, okay, let's go, and they beat Michigan as well. Two, no, they lost to Michigan. Two thousand and five. That's when you beat Barry Alvarez in his last year at uh, Madison. Yep, right? so and, and, and they were, and that was at Madison, yeah. and they were a ten and three team. Oh yep. six. Um, I mean, there's a whole lot of meh in there. Um, the the closest one would have been maybe Purdue, who finished eight and six, but that was a home game. I bet Iowa was favored. So let's say oh six. Um, oh seven, they beat uh, an Illinois team that went to the Rose Bowl in Kinnick. Ten six. Um, 2008, they beat Penn State, who was top five. Yeah. 2009, they won at Penn State early in the season. And I'm guessing Penn State was probably ranked higher than they were. It was very, very close. That's uh, the Adrian Claiborne block punt game, right? Yep. They also won at Wisconsin 20-10. to 10. And Wisconsin yeah. finished 10-3 and three that year. Um, were they favored against Georgia Tech in the Orange Bowl? I don't recall. Might have been I close. I don't recall. They won that one. 2010... This might be your one, another one. Um, well, they beat Michigan State, and Michigan State was a top-five ranked team when they beat them, and Iowa had two so losses at that time, so yeah. there's another one. Yeah. 2011, let's not uh, – 2011 – well, they beat Pittsburgh, but they were down a lot, but I don't think you count that. They didn't do it in 2011 – well, they beat uh, Michigan, an 11-2 Michigan team in mm-hmm. 2011. 2012. I know. I was that was the last game. I think it, I was at at Kinnick actually. Yeah. 20, uh, 2012. No. 2013. <laughs> they beat um, Nebraska at Nebraska, 38 to 17. At the end of that season. Uh, 2014. Mm, don't think so. Didn't happen in 2014. And then 2015. You know they the won, win at Wisconsin. Win at Wisconsin was certainly. Uh, certainly would be the one. Uh, the forty to ten win at Northwestern was pretty salty as well, and that was a ten and three Northwestern team. And then, of course, last year against Michigan. So, sorry, that was a lot more long winded than maybe you wanted to do. But so you're so more times than not. Sure. Almost every year, a staple is they beat somebody they're not supposed to beat. It's true. So, I'll say loss, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if they beat Ohio State in that game. They get them on... It's the week after they play Penn State. It is. I I was just going to go there. So they've got uh, Nebraska, then a bye, then they're against Penn State, and then they go to Iowa. So that Penn State game should be a physical game. But you're going to probably say, you'd probably say a loss, though, right? I'll be conservative and say a loss, but it wouldn't shock me. Sure. At Wisconsin. I I think that's a definite loss. After watching the Nebraska game, we'll talk about that in a bit. Purdue at yeah. home. When? At Nebraska. I think they're at fire the coach stage then. All right, so. If, if, if he survives that long. So likely best case four and two, realistically, right? 
I mean, maybe overachieving to five and one, but realistic best case. I think four I think two. the realistic best case is five and one. Worst case scenario is three and three. Most likely is four and two. So most likely you're saying eight and four. Uh, mm-hmm. Worst case you're saying seven and five, which would mm-hmm. exe- which would exceed your six and six at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. You were you were you might have been leaning more towards five and seven if memory serves, but I, I can't recall specifically. No, we. I thought Sparty was going to go five and seven. I had Iowa at six and six. Okay. Well, we both had the under, and the under was at six and a half. So. Yeah, because we both thought it was more likely they would go six. Six. Yes. Six and seven, seven or five. five. You're yeah. right. You're right. Okay. Um, let's let's jump to the Big Ten, uh, shall we? And let's talk about you know what. First of all, let's be a good time for a uh, a message from Heartland Flagpoles and Flags. We'll step aside. Be right back. The black and gold unites us all, but then what? Kevin, the flag guy from Heartland Flags here. If you're listening to this podcast, you bleed black and gold. But what comes after the Hawks? For me, it's the Cincinnati Reds and Cincinnati Bengals. Nope, can't explain it. What about you? Packers and Wizards? Pelicans and Sharks? NASCAR and the Jags? Bulls, Bucks, and Chargers? Whatever flag you want, we've got it. Jump online to heartlandflags.com and shop our huge inventory of sports teams' flags. You won't find a better selection or better prices anywhere. Guaranteed. And to top it off, free shipping on all purchases at heartlandflags.com. Oh, and that Iowa flag you've been flying since the Hawks last went to the Orange Bowl? Time to step up and freshen up with a new design. Check out our Hawkeye selection when you're shopping for your other favorite team flags at heartlandflags.com, where you'll never pay for shipping. All right, let's go to the Big Ten, and it was an interesting weekend. Let's start Let's start at Nebraska. All right, I had the split screen going all night. Frankly, as a fan, uh, not a fan of Wisconsin, Nebraska, Michigan, or Michigan State, I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed Saturday night with the split screen going. You probably may not say the same, but I, I just loved it. It was it was some Big Ten football, very enjoyable for me. That was a lot of fun. Um, Wisconsin. Holy crap. That is just a team I want to fall down one of these years and stub their toe. And the the, the power, the identity, the display of identity they put on for the last quarter and a half of that game. I, I, I can't remember how many straight runs they had. And Nebraska could do nothing to stop it. The, the Jonathan Taylor is a freaking house, 249 yards rushing. I think one of just 10 200-plus yard rushing performances against Nebraska ever. Just a fantastic display of a team that knows who and what they are, and they kick Nebraska, Nebraska's teeth in, just kick their teeth in. I think that was I, – I think that was a game that – I think we'll go down in the annals of Nebraska football history. And if if you're a Nebraska fan, the the allegory that that was yeah. more than a game. It was an allegory. Yeah, I know where you're going. A, a, a team with your exact same color scheme, the first initial of your state on the helmet in red, on a white helmet. The, the the what you just said about the stressing of their identity the the pushing of their identity i think was very very well stated 
Um, you're 17 to 17, essentially going into the fourth quarter. And the final is 38 to 17. I mean, that, that, that game told the tale of 15 years of Nebraska football history. Who are we? What is our program? What's our identity? What's our formula? And I still don't know how good Nebraska or Wisconsin is. I mean, they have played nobody, but they've looked the way you're supposed to look if you're great and you're playing nobodies. And I think we have to keep in mind. Now, I, don't, I didn't get a chance to see a lot of this game in real time, but I believe you know Fumagalli's hurt. He is. At least he was out last week. He, Did he play hurt. last. I thought he was out Saturday too. They lost their entire linebacker core from a year ago now. That was so outstanding all of last season when you consider guys that went to the NFL and then guys that got hurt in camp. It just doesn't matter. New defensive coordinator who's only been a position coach one year. True true freshman running back. Um, You know, Horny Brooks thrown for like 75 yards. It it is, in many respects – it's, it's what we saw year after year after year after year for decades at Nebraska. It didn't matter if it was an All-American named Jerry Taggy or a one-year journeyman named Jerry Godowski. It didn't matter if it was a three-year starter setting every school record named Stephen Taylor, or it didn't matter if it was Keithan McCants. They, were, they, weren't, they weren't winning less than nine games, and they were playing somewhere on January 1. It just didn't matter. And this is what we saw all our lives growing up between Bob Devaney right on into Tom Osborne. And early on in the Solich era before they decided to get to vanquish that legacy. And you just look at Wisconsin is just a program that is extremely comfortable in its own skin. You are only going to beat them when you have better personnel than they do. Period. That's it. Barry Alvarez, only, Barry Alvarez the played there, didn't he? Yes, at Nebraska. Yes. Yep. Went from from Mason, yeah, then uh, then on the Mason City High School yep. football coach. Yep. And from there, you know, an assistant at Iowa, and then Notre Dame, and then head coach at Wisconsin. There's just no way to avoid that. If you're if you're a Nebraska fan, our age or older, there's no way you can uh, you can miss the allegory that was just shoved down your throat, and that has to be especially on a night when the 97 national co-national championship team is there being honored with Tom Osborne. It's impossible to not realize that what's happened there is this is a, this is a tale of Jacob and Esau man on a college football gridiron. <laughs> it's, it's Steve Peterson sold y'all's birthright for a pot of pour it for a pot of stew. And, and you're just watching and, and, you know, you're watching the, the you know the brother who is now uh, who's now the legacy. Jacob just came into your crib and just shoved your birthright right down your throat. It's impossible not to have to, to have noticed that. It that's poetic stuff. If you're Tom Chattel or Steve Sippel or one of those guys, that's you know one of those you know noted writers in that part of the country. And. I think whoever the new AD is, and there's some talk now that we may get an announcement of who is going to be here pretty quickly, that that's what has to be reestablished there. And, and 
And it's got to be reestablished with who we are and what we want to be. And, and, and I think it's, it's got, and I think that's where it has to start is in the front of the athletic department. And I, and they kind of had this with Osborne and yeah, Bo Pelini lost four games every year. Pardon me, but he won nine games every year. And it also may be with the league they're in now, that may be what they are now. They, they, they don't have a, a system and, and they don't have the, the, the local recruiting base. They don't have the walk-on program they had when we were kids. They don't have the access to the Texas high school ranks of the Big 12 that they had in the mid to late 90s. And they're in a, they're, they are in a college football no-man's land. Yeah. So I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure that. I don't know that they will ever be. Now I think they're good. I think they can be a lot better than they are right now. Don't get me wrong. Okay. But but I don't know that they'll ever be the brand that the Big Ten decided to lower its academic standards to go and get back in 2010. Wisconsin's last three drives of this game after Nebraska had the pick six and tied it up at 17. The last three real drives from Nebraska's fourth drive that I'm not going to include was basically a two-play kneel down. The last three drives, each of them were for 10 plays. All three of them were for touchdowns. And they ran the ball 29 times and threw it once. That's dictate. Mm. That's that's dictating. That's like a dog peeing in the carpet and you holding their nose down in it. It's just unbelievable. My you know, hats off to him, and I hate, I hate, I hate giving Wisconsin credit, but I have. I'm to. with you, but you can't. You got to give. I saw them do that to Rich Rodriguez in Rich's last year, and that's when you knew it was done at Michigan. For Rich Rod, was Wisconsin. That was the year they had that great offense with Tolzien, who's still in the NFL, and um, uh, wasn't James White. I'm thinking of the guy who set the touchdown market there. Who couldn't make it in the NFL? You not know what I'm Ron talking Dan- about. Not Ron Dane. Um, was no, weird. but the guy. There was the guy. There's so many problem. damn many of them. John yeah. Clay. Clay. No, but no, he's the guy. He flamed out in the NFL. Was a big pick in the NFL and flamed out there. But Calhoun. Anyway, I it, it's you. We Anthony Davis. I don't know. Brett Moss. <laughs> just start naming up names. But but they ran the ball. They went into Michigan Stadium. They ran the ball every play in the second half. This was Bielema's best team. Because they knew they didn't have to throw to beat us. And that's what happened in Nebraska on Saturday night. So I think the clock is ticking there, clearly. Let's go to the other game that was uh, big. Um, Michigan State, Michigan, uh, very, very bad conditions. Some of the worst conditions I can ever really recall from a Big Ten game. Uh, not, not, not any lightning, so they didn't have to cancel it. And Michigan State, 14 Michigan 10, Michigan was minus five in turnovers. I mean, you never win that, and yet they still had a Hail Mary chance at the end to do it. Michigan State, just 252 yards of off. I mean, Iowa fans, it's basically the same game you saw a, pre- a week prior uh, with just, you know, less uh, less completions in it because of the weather. You were pretty upset after the game from a Michigan standpoint. You don't really have to talk about this game. I'm more interested in your direction of Michigan under uh, – is he Jimmy or is he Jim tonight? I'm not – I wasn't really upset as much as um, 
disappointed. I was upset after Ohio State last year because I felt like something had something wrongly had been taken away. In this case, I'm more disappointed. And here's why I'm disappointed. And and I want to be sensitive to this too because we're on the Hawkeye Nation podcast. So well, this is the Big Ten. I don't know how many of your people care, frankly. You know. But I'll try, I'll try to make it generic from a Big Ten trajectory standpoint, okay? Um, that's Michigan State team's not that good. Um, they're, they're tougher than they were a year ago. They have better chemistry than they had a year ago. But they're not that good. We're halfway through the year. And an in a okay mobile quarterback, I mean, he's okay. You know, I mean, he's not – you know, to me, he's not – you know, it's not Braxton Miller back there, okay? He's an okay mobile quarterback. He's their leading rusher. You probably couldn't name one of their receivers except for the Felton Davis kid who had two touchdowns against Iowa. And that those are the only two touchdowns I think he has this season, by the way. Um, they're not that good. But they're tougher than they were a year ago. You kind of get the sense the universe is course correcting for them that they weren't as bad as their record last year. And so we're going to get somewhere in the middle this year. You know what I'm saying? They, they probably should have been five and seven or six and six last year, not three and nine. So this year they'll probably be seven and five and eight and four. And, and that's probably about where they're at. But the reason I'm very disappointed is Michigan has played the same game every week this season. And when I say the same game, I mean the same game. Every game, they've scored on their opening drive. Every game. Every game, after scoring on their opening drive, they then stop the other team. And then there's a turnover on the next drive on Michigan's offense. This has happened in literally every game, all five games. After they get the turnover, on their, their offense gives up a turnover then the offense essentially does nothing for the rest of the half. And if they get something, it's a field goal, like what they got against Florida or, uh, you know, against uh, Cincinnati. So the offense, there's no overcoming of adversity at all. The, 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 slow, the, the least amount of resistance or, or, or they have no resolve. The, the offense just shuts down for a half. We then let teams destroy us in the second quarter. We make adjustments at halftime, shut the other team down in the, th- in the in the second half. We did it again yesterday. This has been the same game five weeks in a row. Nothing changes. Nothing. We fall for the same pre-snap blitz packages every week. I can sit here and, you know, you and I have joked about this in the past. When fans say they can call the plays, well, they're going to run, they're going to – no, I'm when I say I can call the defense, what I mean is I can tell you what the stunt is, what gap they will shoot, what guys are coming. I can sit here and tell you watching the games. We see the same blitz package every game. If you watch if if, if you watch Michigan against Indiana on Saturday since I was going to be on a bye, you want to you want to call my bluff. First out, I can promise you if Indiana has watched any film at all, at least 80% of first downs on Saturday, they will all gap, zero gap, run blitz Michigan on first down. And Michigan will run into it, trying to block, 
eight on five when they can barely block five on five at least 75 percent of the time and it will be, and it's like michigan begins every drive on third down if you know what i'm saying you, yeah you i know i know you're I'm, saying you sound you're like an iowa, iowa fan so you know exactly what i'm saying you know what i'm saying here you get it you've lived this you have lived what i'm living right now all right i've done this show on kxno you've done this on on sound off we have done this show you and i have we've, we've gotten paid to do the show we're doing right now we've done it before it's like Michigan starts every offensive drive on third down. They get a little bit behind the sticks, we're screwed. Nothing gets better. There might be five guys that played for Michigan State Saturday that Michigan even offered a scholarship to, let alone would make the two deep on this team. That was an inexcusable loss. And I think, it, I think that it has the potential to be far more damaging than I think many people that don't follow Michigan understand for two reasons now when I say damaging we have to also have some perspective here I know it's a cute little stat about he has the same 31 game record as Brady Hoke there's more to it than that okay first of all Michigan is Michigan fell out of the top 10 this week this was the 19th week we've been ranked in the top 10 since Jim Harbaugh took over we had only been in the top 10 a total of 17 weeks in the decade prior to his arrival, okay? So the Big Ten is a lot better now than it was when Brady Hoke was coaching in the league. There, so there's a lot more to it than that stat, okay? Because, you know, I can spin stats. We've done this before. Urban Meyer has one Big Ten title in six years, so does he suck? No. So, But it's a cute stat, but that stat – is part of the point I'm about to make Jim. And he's always, he's been Jimmy to me since I was 12 years old. So he's always going to be Jimmy to me. Jimmy built this program on brand narrative because he had to, because they didn't have anything else. He rebuilt the brand narrative with his own personality, personality stunts, contrived stunts, his manipulation of the media, etc. caught lightning in a bottle for the last six games of his first year. When Jake Rudock went, when him and Jake Rudock clicked, he went nuts, turned Rudock into a pro, and and that sort of took the program off. Well, he's won a lot of games, but there haven't really been any signature wins. Yeah, I mean the win over Penn State last year looks phenomenal, but when we beat Penn State forty-nine to ten, you and I were talking about who's replacing James Franklin. Nobody at this time last year thought Penn State was going to be the Big Ten champion. Okay, nobody did. Nobody, not a living soul on earth, thought they were. Um, so they don't really have a signature win. He has won a lot of games, but without a signature win, a lot of the perception of the program has been built on brand narrative. Well, if you live by the brand narrative, you can die by the brand narrative. And, and we're at that stage with the media now that I see in my day job all the time. We love the new hotness in my line of work. All right. When we find the new hotness, we will blow them way out of proportion. That happened with Harbaugh. Then we then we end up hating ourselves for blowing the new hotness out of proportion. And we decide what we want to do next is tear down the new hotness so that we can then tell their redemption story later on. We're at the second stage now. All the people that covered that followed Jimmy into the urinal at a ball game. Everybody that, that interrupted Sports Center to tell us what jersey he was wearing at a satellite camp. Um, you know, all the people that kept calling Mark D'Antonio Mike D'Antonio on ESPN's College Football Live, 
Now those same people are all going to run their memes, and they're all going to throw out their tweets, one and four against their rivals. Same record as Brady Hoke. I think you and I both agree watching this program, it's nothing like what it looked like. It's just not even close. Not even close. But that doesn't matter. Because when you lack signature wins, the narrative, you live by it and you die by it. And at the level he needs to recruit to be what he wants it to be, he is too good of a coach. We have too good of players now. We're never going back to, at least as long as he's around, we're not going back to five and seven and six and six. That's not going to happen. You know, but when you're paying a guy nine million a year, the Lloyd Carr 10 and three season, were before we had the playoffs, by the way, where only one or two teams had a real chance at the championship. And now, and, and when one and two teams have a chance at the championship, that means really four, pe- four teams think they belong. Well, now that four teams are in there, eight teams, nine teams, 10 teams think they belong. Going 10 and three, at, like Lloyd Carr used to do all the time, and you know, finishing eighth, ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th in the country was okay if you were if you were a Michigan fan back in those days. Not great, but it was okay. Now that ain't gonna cut it. Not gonna cut it because you're paying a guy nine million a year. We our our offensive coaching staff, the total salary compensation for that staff this year is going to be about twelve million dollars. And right now they might have the worst statistical profiled offense in all of the Power Five. And that includes Northwestern, which is awful. Okay? So it's a question of perception. And for this program to finally deliver on its promise and its potential, which is to be that next dominant team in the sport, last night's loss makes it harder. We let Sparty back up off the mat. We could have won that game last night, and if we go down and crap the bed in Indiana, we can just blow that off as letdown alert, sandwich game between Sparty and Penn State. You know what I'm saying, John? Mm-hmm. That, that, you can blow that off. But Sparty's entire identity is based off of beating us. They are still get they're they're still circle jerking over something Mike Hart said when the current guys they're recruiting were in the second grade. Their entire brand, and D'Antonio has done it well, is based off of us. All we had to do was just win by any score. Just win, put them down, move on. We let them back up off the mat. It's already tough enough going up against Urban Meyer in the prime of his career. Now we have Penn State rebounding. How in the world Penn State can recover so fast from a child predator raping kids on campus is is beyond me but we'll have that conversation another day but now you have another top five or ten all-time program in your own backyard they're back up off the map we now want to add notre dame back on the schedule there you go so it just makes it harder it's hard to win nowadays it's harder it's harder with every conference playing a championship game you know there's a lot of year Michigan, we love to talk about our 41 Big Ten titles. There's a lot of shared championships in there. You know, Kirk Ferentz loves to, you know, if you're an Iowa fan, you love to talk about Kirk Ferentz's titles. They're all shared championships. No, there are no more shared championships anymore. That's why even Urban Meyer with a 63-6 and six record in the Big Ten has one Big Ten championship. But nobody, you don't think about those things anymore because you're paying a guy $9 million. 
And that's why I think that loss last night potentially makes delivering on that promise much more difficult because the narrative wave that Michigan has rode the last two years, which which probably put the program further ahead of where it actually was, but the narrative, you live by the narrative, well, now we're going to die by the narrative. Now it's going to reverse with a vengeance. The rubber band's going to really snap back. And if it blew out of proportion how quickly we returned, it's now going to blow out of proportion how quickly we've devolved. And the only way out of that now is Jim needs to do what James Franklin did at this time last year. That was the narrative about James Franklin at this time last year. He changed it with a signature win. Jimmy needs a signature win. One signature win will shut all of this down. But until he gets it, it's going to make closing in the 2018 class much more difficult. It's going to make holding on to a 2019 class, which has the potential to be the number one class in the country, much more difficult. And when I say closing on these classes, I'm not saying they're going to finish like the 35th ranked recruiting class. But when you're paying a guy $9 million, with all due respect, our expectation is for $9 million actually beating Iowa. Actually, be, we're thinking $9 million, you're going up against Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney. And I hope Hawkeye fans understand what I mean from the perspective standpoint. It, it's You're paying a guy Nick Saban money. When you pay a guy Nick Saban money, what do you want, John? Probably Nick Saban results. Nick Saban. Tell me what Michigan has that Alabama. That, tell me what Alabama has Michigan doesn't. Championships. Not a damn thing. Well, other than that, yeah, but in terms of what it takes to obtain them, nothing. Nothing. Not a damn thing. And so that's what I mean. He, he, he's never, we're never going to be, he's not going to suck. We're too good. But not for $9 million, you're not, you don't want Lloyd Carr 2002, 10 and 3. We beat, you know, an SEC team in the Outback Bowl and finished 10th in the country. $9 million, man, you're like, uh, why aren't we in the playoff every year? And that is the danger of, ex- of paying a guy that kind of money is the expectations go along with it. And this is something Iowa fans, I'm sure, are very sensitive to because your coach was this guy for many years. He was the highest paid or one of the highest paid coaches and had to put up with, why are you getting paid so much money to go six and six and seven and five? Well, now Michigan's about to enter into that. Why are you getting paid so much money to go eight and four, nine and three? And that's going to stay there until he changes the narrative. And the narrative now will only change with a signature victory. Yeah, enjoy that one. Um, enjoy the narrative. Northwestern, you've mentioned several times. Now, hey, I hope I didn't go on to – I only got into this because you asked me. To do it. No, I, I, I will guarantee you there are a lot of people listening to this just to hear you melt down on that. I had so many tweets. Okay, I, um, I'm not melting down. I'm just disappointed. No, you melted was, down, dude. I was melting down. down. John, I wasn't melting down. You want to know what a meltdown is? <laughs> yeah, Last your Michigan November podcast Twitter. Well, that you're right. That that one was melting all, down then. That one was melting all-time. down then. That was I, just, I know we live in a world where if you if you aren't if you criticize the coach, you want him fired, or if if you think anything's wrong, then you just hate the team. I know that's the world we live in. I don't live in that world. I saw I some of your retweets last night. That was pretty fun. I live in an adult world where you like can love people and disagree. You can like love your kids and not think they're the best player on their Little League team or the best dancer in their ballet class every year. That's the world I live in, which also is why I don't have many friends 
but I prefer my world. <laughs> oh, Penn State 31, Northwestern 7. You've mentioned several times. I think you just recently said something about bad offensive profiles. What do you mean? Sacks, tackles for yardage, turnovers, third down efficiency, first, uh, uh, you know, first down efficiency, uh, just your overall offensive statistical profile. If I looked at your offense, what would it tell me if I looked at your total stat package? And, and you, I think you need to do that rather than just cherry picking one or two stats. Sure. Okay. Sure. Yeah, they they're not good. Um, I mean, Penn State is. Uh, but that was that was a pretty rough day. I mean, Saquon Barkley was held in check all day except for one play, uh, and you still got housed pretty well. And they play at Maryland this coming week before they host Iowa. So you're right; they they are not a good looking team. We saw earlier this year when they were housed by Duke. That was concerning, but we gave them the benefit of the doubt because we ripped them off early last year. Pardon me, I'm sorry, John. When I say they don't look like a Pat Fitzgerald team, here's what I mean. So early in the year, opening game, they struggle with Nevada. But we've seen Northwestern do that a million times, right? Mm-hmm. Next week, they go out and get housed by Duke. Um, they, they aren't responding to adversity well. You know, they don't, they're, they're not sustaining momentum. They, they, they come back and make it a game in Madison last week. They get no confidence out of that at all and get shelled the very next week at home. Those aren't the markings of a Pat Fitzgerald team. The only time I can think of under Pat Fitzgerald we've seen something like that was the year that um, um, they had the unionization controversy in the offseason, and they just never came together as a team. Other than that, we've not – even bad Northwestern teams, we've seen them rebound to pester the hell out of somebody the very next week. We're not even seeing that right now. Would it surprise you that Northwestern's averaging – well, I guess they, they're they're averaging 5.13 yards per play, so that is worse than Iowa. They're averaging more yards per game than Iowa, but there are some, when you go and look in the internals, as you would say in your day job, they, they don't look very good for Northwestern. So, hey, I, I hope that continues when Iowa goes and visits them. You know, Ohio State pounded Maryland. Uh, you know, hopefully the, the, the softest part of their schedule is over. I'm kind of, I don't even like tuning into their games. It's not even fun to watch, really. Um, anything noteworthy you want to comment on that game? No, I don't know really what to glean from that. I don't. I don't know what to glean from the last month for them, but it probably does well for their confidence after what happened against Oklahoma. But, you know, an argument could be made. They were among the biggest losers on Saturday. With no, what Iowa State did. There's no doubt. And, and I'm going to say this, so you don't have to be the one to say it so people don't think it's you being a homer because everybody knows you also like Iowa State. Given the location of the Iowa State-Oklahoma game, the history of outcomes at that location, heck, the history of the series dating back to, you know, I, it's just one of the most one-sided series in the history of college football. The circumstance of Jacob Park not going down with the team, their quarterback, and all of those things, I think it's one of the most impressive outcomes, most impressive wins, victories, whatever you want to call it, in state of Iowa sports history. And, hmm. I, I mean, start throwing, start, start, start throwing some other things out there. I mean, Iowa fans bristled when I tweeted that last night on Saturday night, but I truly believe it. 
when you when you consider all of it. Consider this guy hadn't played quarterback really for them. Certainly hadn't started a game. I don't know that he played a snap this year, um, or or much at all. And, and you know you had the the visible interaction between Matt Campbell and Jacob Park against Texas, that looked very uncomfortable. Uh, then you hear just before the game, I mean the team probably knew obviously, but that Jacob Park um, is going to be out with some personal medical issues that he's going to be resolving. Uh, and then I don't even—I still don't even know what the Iowa State's quarterback's name is. And you Kemp, see it's his name, Kempt. Um, yeah. you, you see all the big plays. I mean, I had for the first time in my for the first time in my picture in picture life, I had Iowa, an Iowa game, not on the full screen. I had Iowa State Oklahoma on the picture in picture because I just couldn't take my eyes off of what was going on. They answered the bell time and time again, and. I was texting with some Iowa State friends on Friday when I saw that Park wasn't making the trip down. And I had just kind of assumed it was maybe due to his falling out with Campbell the week before, and that's sending a message, and that's good for the program. I'm like, hey, that's, that's what you want your head coach to do. Never did I think that they'd even be close, much less win. I, when you factor it all in, I, I think it rakes right up there amongst the greatest wins ever in the state of Iowa. Well, I think whatever the personal situation Jacob Park is dealing with probably puts much more of the erratic performance we saw against Texas in that in that spot. Uh, I think it probably puts that sure in more of a perspective, is more of an explanation for whatever that was now. Mm-hmm. But just to just to add some context to what you're saying, you know, I have a you know I I'm a fountain of idiot savantness in college football. I cannot think of a time that in the span of, of one week, a team went from a 31-point underdog to a 20-point favorite. I, I can't and, – and within within conference games, you know, I, I, that's what – I mean, Iowa State was a 31-point underdog at Oklahoma. They're a 20-point favorite opening up line against Kansas at home. I've never seen anything like that. Right. It went it, it, in major college football. And I think that gives you an idea of how improbable things were, what happened on Saturday, how much the perception of the program changed with what happened on Saturday. He, I, here's why I'm not ready to go with go as far as you are yet. Because, and, and this is what Iowa State team, this is what being a fan of a team like Iowa State or the Detroit Lions or the Chicago Cubs until last year, this is what it'll do to you, Okay. I, you got to make sure this isn't, you know, your once a generation Marv Seiler game. But, that, but that's immaterial to what I'm saying. Regardless, if, if Iowa State loses the rest of their games, I still think that that was one of the most amazing victories of any sport, whether it's whatever. You know, uh, Johnson yeah, winning the I Masters, Sean yeah, Johnson winning a gold medal. I mean, yeah. t- would you consider the circumstance, the, the deficit, yeah. the no quarterback, the location, all of good that, point. the history? Yeah. Yeah. For a, a single point. one-off event, this is amongst the best ever. Yeah, that's a good point. That That's a very good point. Um, I know where I'll you're going de- with I'll your defer. fandom. I, 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 I understand. This is where Iowa State beat, can browbeat you. Iowa, yeah. I, Iowa State football. You got, you got, bo- you got both. You got both hands on your crotch right now. Is what you're doing. Yeah, I, I get it. Yep. yep. Totally. Totally get it. Anyway. So I'll defer to you as the outsider who emotionally <laughs> doesn't have any investment at all. You might be seeing this one more clearly than me. Oh, don't look at me wrong. 
we were I was going nuts here on Saturday, Saturday during that game. But the only reason I haven't put it in that kind of perspective is because yeah, you just you don't want it to be your You've once in a generation Mars style sure. game. Sure, yeah. I hope it's not like I, like I said a few weeks ago. I want Iowa State's program to be better if they're going to continue to play the Cyhawk game so that when Iowa loses to Iowa State, they're not a laughing stock nationally because the nation doesn't understand the narrative of that game. So the only way for that to happen, for them to continue playing, and Iowa not have everything to lose and very little to gain from a national perspective, is for Iowa State to be consistently better. That's all I want, and I was well, happy. Well, I, th- I think we have a, we, we may for the first time have an era where – and, and there were plenty of years that I was when McCarney was here, and but and when Rhodes was had it was was competitive early in his reign, where Iowa could and Iowa State could both both be good, but when you look at the style of football Matt Campbell is playing, the way he's recruiting, when you look at the way that the Big Twelve has evolved and just even the last few years all the more so into essentially a purely offensive league, I I don't know that it does it takes anything away from Iowa at all other than just making that game a little tougher. But I don't know that it takes anything away from Iowa at all for Iowa State to be good and add a quality game to your schedule. Different different players they're going after. Totally. Totally agree. The program's just so different now. Yep, I agree. But, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I would would have said – I would have pulled a Paul Clark and said that whatever's good for Iowa State is bad for Iowa. I don't don't believe that now. Um, Purdue beat Minnesota. On a delayed game, nice win for them. The boat's taking on some water up in Minnesota. Their offense just isn't very fun to look at. Um, definitely. Well, they didn't. They left him with no quarterback, and they just look small, man. I mean, they left they them. Just oh, look small. I mean, the last regime left them with yes. no quarterback. Yes, they left them with no quarterback, and the, and they look small. Yeah, they they do. Um, anything from the national scene you want to talk about that we haven't yet? I don't think so. I think that nice win for Miami. That was pretty insane. Um, NC State beats Louisville by fourteen. Louisville's second loss. Clemson, you can give them a break. They were up twenty-one nothing and rolling against Wake. I mean, you can't just be up every single week. What's your rule of three? Maybe you're never yep. as good as you look three weeks in a row, and not as bad as you look. Although Georgia's putting that one to the test. Yeah, they look like this year's mission team. You know, and every every year or every couple of years, there's a program that's a big name, has a big brand, has a tradition that was is beginning to take on a identity of you know never really truly delivering. That just for whatever reason puts it all together and just decides they're sick of being that team, and so they're going to take several years of frustration out on everybody in their path. That looks a lot like Georgia this yeah, year. Yeah, it really does. Okay? It just looks like it just doesn't – there are no letdowns. The, they, the, it's like they think the last decade was a letdown and someone must pay. And you're just going to pay for this now every week. And a whole bunch of guys on their team have just suddenly – you know, we, when, I, when we talked about them in the preseason, I said I really liked them a lot. Um, I thought they would actually – when and they were in my top ten, which is how I project the season to end. But remember I said about them – but they are a team. They have a lot of guys back, but with the exception of Nick Chubb, not a lot of these guys have done things. And so what for, for them to meet that expectation level, I remember I told you they were going to need 
a lot of these recruiting classes to sort of mature and and fulfill their potential simultaneously. Well, that's exactly what is going down. I mean, they are it's Alabama esque what they are doing to mm-hmm. teams. And, yes. and even the win at the win at Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame is a lot better. I would agree. Reluctantly agree. No doubt. I wouldn't be sure I'd be I would not be shocked if Notre Dame went out. I would not. And if they went out, they're gonna be in the playoff. I think I think two things happen this weekend from a playoff perspective. I think any team other than TCU, and that's if they run the table, is that any other Big Twelve team will not make the playoffs. And and I think, despite how strong the perception of the top of the Big Ten is, I don't think they're in the clear with making the playoff at all. I think if Georgia continues to dominate like this, and they have a non-conference win at Notre Dame, and Notre Dame is eleven and one and ten and two. And Georgia's only loss is at the end of the year against Alabama, and that's a very competitive game, like in 2012. I agree. Yeah, they probably should. I think both those teams will make it. I think. I don't disagree. I think you're right. I think you're right. All right, that'll do it uh, for this HN podcast. For Steve, I'm John. Thanks for listening.